2: And this ain't no true crime podcast. Honestly, you can't call this a history podcast because I'm no historian. I'm just a history fan that does some research and bullshits about it with his friends. So speaking of my friends, let me introduce you to my co-host. First with us today, we got Damien back.
3: What up, though?
2: And then also with us, we got Dan. Hey, what's happening? Before we get into our beers, Dan, who's like officially becoming like my backup whiskey guy. Brought us a uh, drink to share. You want to tell us what you got here?
4: Well, the reason why I always bring some uh, some whiskeys is because you got a better palate than me. So, you're <laughs> sort of my guinea pig. Like, I run it back at you. Like, man, what do you think, Locke? So, uh, today I brought some Beer Barrel Bourbon. It's from uh, New Holland, which is a brewery here in Michigan that I just found out makes a lot of liquor. They make rum, gin, like a bunch of shit. And this is basically, it's bourbon that they put in beer barrels
2: it's ironic because we spend so much time drinking beers that are put into bourbon barrels that i think it's fair that you know rotate it
4: but uh yeah that's new holland here in michigan which we already proclaimed on the show has like the stouts down yeah they got the poet yep and uh the dragon's milk oh yeah which is their strong that's like the 11.9 whatever it is yeah that
3: one that's a high one yeah That's why it's only in a four-pack, because that's all you need.
4: (laughs) I mean, that one's good. It's right up there with uh, the KPS with me.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. What'd you think of it?
3: It's definitely light, which I'm surprised, because it's actually got a pretty good color to it. But it's got kind of a blonde flavor to it, to me. You know, it's definitely light. It's nice. It's really nice for a hot day like this. If you're going to do a whiskey, it's definitely, I'd definitely say go ahead and do something like this one.
4: Yeah, it's not a very overwhelming sort of thing.
3: It's uh, 40%,
4: by the way, or 80 proof. But well, beer-wise, what'd you bring to drink for your beer today? Well, I didn't know that uh, Damien would be here again, but he was going to get a shout-out anyways, because I believe the last time we were here, well, you can't just drink that in front of me and act like I'm not going to mention that you're drinking out of a horn.
2: Yeah, to quote Ragnar's last words, tonight we shall drink ale from Curved Horns.
4: All right, well, we're going to get back to that in a second, but now uh, <laughs> yeah, the last time we were we were here, he mentioned some blueberry lemonade shandy because i drank uh a blueberry maple stout and this is from sagatuck brewing the same one that made the maple stout and it is good as hell some blueberry lemonade shandy it's a perfect little summertime beer
2: well and it finally got finally hit the 80s this week so it's About uh, shandy time, too. Yeah, it definitely got hot and thick
3: real fast. I'll end up going with a short sprue, sticky, icky, icky. First time for this one for me. It's nice. It's light. It's definitely time to put the heavy beers up. You know, it's sundress season. You got to go with the light (laughs) beers.
4: It's ironic that uh, I brought this one because Damien brought it up last time we were here. And then he brought a beer. That made its debut like way back in the beginning of the show. Like, that was one of the first beers that I brought.
2: Nice. You guys got so beer weird.
3: synergy. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, th- I knew there was an automatic connection <laughs> on the last show. Drink I knew
4: serendipity. <laughs> You're on the D&D show now, baby. Mm-hmm.
2: It's that uh, that military fucking synergy, yeah. man. There you go. Did
4: uh, we just become best friends? <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> 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 Do we need lock?
4: Hell. What's going on? He got the heavy lifting,
3: so I mean, I guess. Hang
4: out with your one locker. What's going on with you, Damon? What's up? At some point,
2: somebody's going to have to read these facts, okay? Yeah. Look, you guys might pick out good beers and have all kinds
4: of jokes, but who's
2: going to do this fucking research?
4: The man with the horn, that's
2: <laughs> it. Yeah, so uh, my son actually got me this curved horn, and it was a Christmas present that he bought me. And forgot about. And he actually came to bring it to me, like, ah, you know, I don't know. I forgot to give you. I don't know if you like it. And it's like one of my favorite things I've ever given. Nice. I haven't stopped drinking out of it now, since he gave it it to me Now, How do you
4: set that thing down?
2: I have a base.
4: Oh, all that right. It has a into. special stand. All right. Put horn back in ducking station. Well, and if I'm outside, I got this little collar
2: that it goes on where you can hang it around your
4: neck. And so you have a horse feeder? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> you have. An alcoholic horn horse hey, beer. Hey, I wouldn't even want to stand.
3: I'd have the fucking collar on all the time. <laughs> to sit here with hey, hey, a horn
4: of beer around my
3: neck? I get the gut to move just right.
4: I ain't even got to lean my
3: head back. I just tilt the beer right in with a breath.
4: Man, I would I would just throw a crazy straw in the mix. I don't even have to look down. There I'm you just go. sipping all day out of that motherfucker.
2: Out of my horn, I'm drinking uh, Coonhead Brewing Company. White Devil. It's uh an Imperial White Ale. It's pretty good. It's nine, 9%. nine But yeah, it's, it's good. It's a, apparently a German brewery right in Detroit that's knocking out 9% beers. Nice. But
3: right. see, we got to get back to that horn for a quick second because I've got to know
2: where he got that. Because that
3: is the perfect barbecue accessory. You know, you got a spatula in one hand. You got the fork in the other hand. With that, you tie that around your neck. You're golden. You don't have to have that third hand to hold the beer. And you don't got your beer sitting on the grill getting hot. That is nice, man. I like. Hey, that's real classy right there.
2: <laughs> What's funny is, so it's like my favorite thing ever, and I don't stop using it. And I was telling my wife how much I fucking love it and how excited I am. And she said, that's funny because when he bought it for you,
4: I said, why the fuck would you get him that? <laughs> it's like she doesn't know you at all, right?
3: <laughs> Because it's that, the dopest thing ever? You know, that that sounds like a little shade being thrown, man. Like, you know what? You're that's like, actually a great Father's Day gift. Like, How he might are be- you hitting home runs with that? Where's my Mother's Day gift to match that?
4: <laughs> so that's my baby boy. Get off my shit, bitch.
2: <laughs> so before we get started, we got to make sure we take the time to thank Sixpo Swaino for letting us use his music in the intro. We also got to thank Cancer for letting us use his music in the mid-roll. We got away
4: from saying it,
2: but I always mean it. So support local artists. We did used to say it all the time. When we stopped. So yeah, support local artists. It sort of moved breweries. its
4: way into just the breweries because right. we usually all do local ones. Where's a uh, short from? Uh, That's a local it, one. It, it's a
3: it? it's a local one too. It's from Elk Rapids, Michigan.
4: All right. So yeah, we are all Michigan ones. Actually, we're quadruple Michigan because of uh the New Holland the yep. whiskey. Yes. But back to the artists, yes. support so, them as well. Support local art. See, even when we go back to support local <laughs> artists, like, yeah, let's let's water that down a little bit.
3: No, but you know what? That's some real shit to say because I actually own two pieces of art from Detroit artists. Uh, I actually went to school with, in that, and that is something that you really need to do because, like, I also try to do things in wherever I live, whether it was Lincoln Park, Rouge, Southwest Detroit. It's, it's real important to support your neighborhood because that's part of your tax base. That's part of your living space, man. You right. got to do it. You got well, to.
2: And, uh, you know, not that it's art, but we're trying, we're creating content here. and We appreciate the support. You know what I mean? So, sure. it, so it always goes a long way. And those are both people that put some hard work into something and let us use it when there was nothing in it for right. us. So I was recently looking at the number we just had last week, our biggest uh week in downloads ever and i checked it at one point when we were new we had a week where we had 36 downloads okay so they go from 36 downloads in a week to thousands of downloads in a week and that's amazing man
3: and that's that's, that's really cool
2: yeah and like i said but when we were at 36 downloads a week they were still like yeah you can use it i don't care you know what i mean so
3: yeah that that's love being shown right back right there
2: so we appreciate the support, so, you know, put it back out there into the world. For sure. So, we'll go ahead and get started. And the bad guy we're covering today is John Willis.
1: It's ain't negotiation time. This is Scarface, final scene, fucking bazookas under each arm. Say hello to my little friend.
2: Oh, Jay Willy. So we got John Willis, AKA Bok Guy, a.k.a. White Ghost, a.k.a. White Devil John.
4: This is So this a, is why you have a White, white Ale. Yep. We're with the White Devil John, so you have White Devil beer.
2: That is why I picked it out. I was standing in front of the uh, beer cooler, and I seen White Devil <laughs> Imperial Ale, and I knew who we were covering today. I said, like, oh, yeah, I'm getting that, because I'm actually drinking Half-Hearted the rest okay. of the day. <laughs> but I just wanted to have that one up front to talk like, about.
3: Like, look, I had a cool thing just to start out with.
2: So kinda of to sum up the uh you know the the guy aka, this is actually gonna be this'll be the last episode of our Chinatown Crime Lords series. Okay. But you know, when you look at the climate you know the current climate of the world today, I figured what's a more fitting way to wrap up, you know, the Chinatown Crime Lords and Asian Polynesian
4: month than with, with the, the white guy. Yeah, with a little cultural appropriation, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's the American way to do it This is Tom Cruise in The Last Samurai Um, Matt Damon in The Great Wall Pick other white guy in Asian film The only one to get away with it Is Kurt Russell You ain't taking him down John Wayne
2: John Wayne Genghis Khan man Did did he get away with it though? Right Everybody on that movie set got cancer and died I I think it kind of worked itself out I think
3: John Wayne kicked cancer's ass Didn't he?
2: I don't know. He might have.
3: I think he did. He was the only
2: stretch. guy on that set that fucking <laughs> won and shit. Yeah, if you ever get a chance, though, look into that. Whatever there was the movie, I don't know the name of the movie, but John Wayne played Genghis Khan in it, and they filmed it in the desert. They got it real cheap okay. to use as a set because it was the desert where they did the uh, atomic bomb testing.
3: Nice. <laughs> Yeah, you go play over there. You know, we'll charge you 50 bucks a day.
2: (laughs) And uh, don't mind us. We're just going to be taking notes over here. Oddly enough, after filming a movie in the site of an atomic explosion, most of the people that were there got cancer.
3: Yeah, radioactivity is a motherfucker.
4: Well, you know, it's all karma for having John Wayne play fucking Genghis Khan. So.
3: Yeah, I've never heard of yellowface. Or blackface and brownface, but John Wayne as Genghis Khan—that's wild.
2: <laughs> John Willis was born May 11, 1971, in Dorchester, Massachusetts, to an Irish Catholic family.
4: Recently,
3: okay. So recent? this is this is yeah. I was gonna say this is kind of recent then.
4: The 70s.
2: His father was a violent, abusive drunk who worked as an enforcer for Irish gangsters. His dad got into some trouble and he fled the area, abandoned his family when John was three years old and he never returned, leaving him with his mom. And he had a significantly older half-brother and a couple sisters.
3: I got a feeling the the, the half-brother really uh, kind of steered him into where we're going with this story. As the eldest brother, I know I was a dick to my younger <laughs> brother. So I'm just imagining a half-older brother. He was a real <laughs> asshole.
2: And uh he's significantly older too. He's like twenty years older than him.
3: Oh yeah. So it was like, Come get your come get your fucking kid. I'm not dealing with this kid.
2: Like, what am I what am I his fucking stepdad? <laughs> Growing up, John was large for his size. He was chubby but athletic, and he was a talented hockey player. It was really close with his mom. John was a good kid, and he always promised to be nothing like his father. Like his father was violent when he was there, but he didn't remember most of it. He used to beat his mom and he's like yeah. Yeah, I'm not gonna hit. I'm not gonna hit women. I'm not gonna do drugs. I'm not gonna be drink. I'm not gonna drink. My dad was a fucking asshole, and I'm gonna be a better guy than that.
4: Yeah, Something see, tells I'm, me that that changes or gradually. Yeah, like
3: real quick. Because how the fuck are you a hockey player and you're not violent and not drinking? <laughs> I mean, I understand not hitting women. Yeah, okay, but no drinking, no
4: violence. How the fuck was you playing hockey? He was one of the four. He was one of the dudes that zips around. And doesn't doesn't check. He was the speedy guy.
3: I don't think they had those in the 70s. <laughs>
4: yeah. Well, that wasn't until the Russian Five. And he was described
2: as a large, chubby, athletic kid. So I don't know how you do that.
0: Yeah, I mean.
2: Well, we'll jump right to it now. He always pledged he's going to be nothing like his father. But as good of a kid as he was, he had a hair-trigger temper.
0: Mm.
2: and when he was in middle school a kid stole his shoes and john beat him with a chair to the point where he got arrested and uh transferred to alternative school for troublemakers
4: well i mean what else you can do you stole your shoes
3: But damn middle school i'm thinking what is that maybe what 10 to Thirteen, Somewhere yeah. around there And you beat the shit out of somebody with a chair See <laughs> I was... remember fist fights in middle school But beating motherfuckers with chairs nah, See he's going through puberty
4: His body's changing Hormones are happening He's getting hair in funky places Don't play with his shoes
3: That's what happens when you don't check people in hockey You beat people in regular day everyday life with chairs <laughs> uh, His older
4: brother He when... did say he was into wrestling too That was his shit comes in with <laughs> <therapy>. the metal
0: <military. laughs>
4: chair so he had, he had a a real
2: bad temper and his brother like i said when he was so by the time john's 14 his brother's 34 and they get in an argument one time and john spits on him and his brother pushes him down the stairs and he tells him that he hopes he dies
4: so the whole family like they the reactions are very <laughs> called for they don't overreact at all. I
3: mean, that, hey, that's a broke family reaction. You know, I hope you fucking die. <laughs> I mean, I, hey, I, you know, spitting on somebody is some real disrespectful shit to get your ass whooped over. But wishing death, that's a, that's a little extreme.
2: Well, that comment haunted John for the rest of his life because two days later, his brother passed away from a drug-related heart issue. So basically sounds like he did too much coke and had a heart attack. And John at 14 was like, fuck. My man. Oh,
4: do I have magic powers?
3: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I'd have to think, yo. Am I, I rubber? wish shit on people? Look, I wish for a million dollars right now.
4: He's like Rob Schneider and Three Ninjas?
2: <laughs> so, when he was 14 years old, it was a rough year for him all the way around. First, his brother passed away. And then his mother ended up losing both of her feet to diabetes. Mm. And... His brother was dead. He had two stepsisters, but they were drug addicts, too. So he was the sole caregiver. So he started skipping school to trying to take and care of his, take mom care help
3: his mom, help out and everything.
2: And she was supporting the family by herself with a job working at a shoe store. You know, she was always a doting mom. He was mama's boy. So he became like a doting caregiver. He's skipping school. She doesn't have a job no more. And then not too long later, she ends up passing away from a heart blockage, leaving John to raise himself.
3: Now, how old were the sisters, did it say?
2: No, but they were like in their, they're adults. So okay, they're like so they're, in, their they're
3: 20s. in their 20s or something. So uh, yeah. he's like the baby of the family.
2: Then. Right. So she obviously had a couple kids from like a previous marriage right. and then got with this guy and had John. And now he's got these way older brothers and uh, Dorchester, Lowell. I don't know how much you know about like Massachusetts, but that area, it's, uh, there's a, a documentary called Laws, Lives and Lowell. Okay. Which is, if you've ever seen the movie Fighter, it's with Christian Bale and Mark Wahlberg. I think so. Where he plays his older brother's the drug addict or yeah. whatever. That was in Lowell, Massachusetts. Okay.
0: Word.
3: Um, so that's got to be rough on the kid already, man. You're you're the baby of the family and having to take care of everything. You know, you got these three older siblings that just ain't shit. The one sit said there you wish death on him, he actually dies two days later. Your sisters are fucking drug addicts and you're having to take care of your mom that has diabetes and lost her feet. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of pressure on that pipe, man.
2: On a 14-year-old? Yeah,
3: that's we'll a lot. You
4: know, all. Honestly, his mom dies the best. Like, get the fuck out of there now. You got nothing to lose. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 the... that's his Dude, escape, we gotta man. We got to take care of your older fucking crackhead siblings. Fuck that.
2: Not wanting to go to the system, he stays in the family home because it was in his brother's name. And the CPS believed he was being taken care of by his older sisters. But they were both addicts, and they basically just moved out and never came and checked on him. So he was just 14 years old, raising himself in his brother's old apartment. So, he was, so he was Kevin so,
4: McAllister. <laughs> I made my family disappear. Wait. So,
3: okay, CPS comes in. You're dead. You're living in your dead brother's house, but your older sisters are taking care of you. Okay, cool. Not where are your older sisters? We need to speak with your older sister. CPS was real loose in the 70s. They well, just said, hey, he's got a house, so there's lights, there's water, there's some food in the cabinet. Yeah, he's good. He's in
4: a school for bad kids. <laughs> what, what could go wrong? It seems like it seems strange. well. well I, I mean, this was the 70s. I mean, they even parents like didn't give, like, have you seen Johnny today? No, I think I saw him yesterday. He's probably on his bike. That is, 70s, that is true, though. Fuck.
3: That is true. You know, A, hey, it was be home before the lights came on, yeah. and you you were out all day doing your thing. And if
4: this was a shitty part of town, I mean, CPS ain't doing wellness checks on that one.
2: <laughs> well, and that's what I was going to say. I think that's another thing that's consistent. You can see he's in Dorchester. He's in a rough neighborhood. You know what I mean? So they're kind of like, I don't know. You cool over there? And he's like, yeah, I'm all right. And they're like, all right, cool. We'll should that's you a call ex- next
4: year that's exactly how the cps call
2: went <laughs> so he really struggled to support himself because you know he's a child <laughs> and, um that happened he was too proud for handouts so he wouldn't take money from any people he would hang out with his friends a lot and go over to their house to eat and stuff so most of his eating was done by hanging out with his buddies and he'd go grub oh, right. at their house and come home but he wouldn't ask for money so like in the winter he would never have heat or anything so like he used to have to set up blankets over chairs that he could put by an oven to try and keep him warm like through the winter so yeah, that he so, wouldn't freeze. So, so carbon he...
3: monoxide poisoning wasn't a thing in the 70s. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it was. <laughs> No, motherfucker, I, hey, I, kids was tougher back in the day.
4: <laughs> no, I like uh, he goes over other people's house, they're making forts for fun. He's like, No, I do this shit for survival, <laughs> making forts for a gate. Like, they go over there, he's like, Nah, these walls are weak. You gotta <laughs> move these couch cushions that way. It holds it up, like, damn.
3: Hey, look, yeah. bring them four dining room yeah. table chairs in here. I'm gonna show you how to fortify this <laughs>
2: motherfucker. For right. I'm gonna show never- you how to make a blanket fort, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> yeah angry and alone, he decided if nothing else, I'm never be messed with again in this poor neighborhood. And so he just begins to focus on fitness and weightlifting. He starts getting into working out all, all the time and it's weird cuz he never had no money, but somehow he starts finding He finds access to cheap steroids. I thought you were going
3: to say a cheap gym. That went completely left. No, nope, he finds
0: <laughs> Not steroids. A cheap,
4: gym, cheap steroids. Yes. I just can't believe this <laughs> motherfucker is out here Like a stray dog with his friend's house, he just comes over to eat, then wanders back home. Has to make fucking blanket forts for heat, and he's like, "No, I really gotta work on my pecs. I really gotta start my bicep game up. That's the issue. That's my problem. Is I'm skipping leg day." He was described as
2: rapidly going from a chubby kid to a monster. By the time he was 16, he was so big that he was able to lie about his age. And passed for eighteen and got a job as bouncer a bouncer working local clubs.
3: Yeah, he's eating the steroids. All his fat turned into muscle. He probably grew some chin hair, some chest hair, you know, hey.
2: see,
4: sometimes you have to sacrifice to invest in yourself. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, you know, for that go, is go, true. a couple meals, now he's got that a is job. True.
2: If I get some muscle on this frame, I can find a living, man. This is Dorchester. There's money made to be made for a big Irish kid that can hey, fight.
3: And that's the thing. Hey, you you sit there, you get your size up. You can fight. You're strong. We will find you a job. <laughs> we will have. Hey, look. See them railroad ties. Take one every five miles and just drop it down because you're the big son
4: bitch and you can move one by yourself. Well, see, that's it. That's why he needs a job. He needs more blanket money because that <laughs> fort's got to expand. He can't fit in that small one-bedroom fort.
2: He's got to build it up. Just to give you an idea of his size, I don't know how big he was at 16. I'll have a picture for later, but... Eventually, as he gets older, he's like 6'2", 250.
3: That's a big a kid, seriously kid for seventies, man. Sick
2: boy. He's a big boy.
3: I'm well, sure. uh, he's eighteen now. We started. At no, he's 70. sixteen.
2: He's lying to say. Oh, he's
3: 18. lying. So uh, he was born in seventy one. So we're in the eighties now.
4: Yeah, eighty seven. Yeah, that's
3: still a good sized kid for the eighties, man. It's
4: wow. yeah. a good sized kid for now. <laughs> what are
3: you talking about? Oh, you shouldn't matter. You see him now. They're six five, six oh. 280. I had kids when I was coaching football. You got to take a knee because I'm not breaking my <laughs> neck to look up to tell you what you're supposed to be doing, son.
2: So he's really good at bouncing. And he's so good that as as a 16-year-old lying about his age, he starts bouncing at one of the top clubs in the Charlestown, Boston area. At this time, Boston had the third largest Chinatown in the USA.
4: Sorry to interrupt, but Damien really likes the whiskey. He's already on his second glass. Well, I mean, if we're... Thank you. Handing out refills. Oh shit. I guess I'm the only
2: one. I'm good. There. So at this time Boston has the third largest Chinatown in the United States. I also think seen another thing that said fourth, but third or fourth, either way, it's one of the bigger Chinatowns. We always we know San Francisco and New York. Boston no, this, a is a,
4: this is important. You only get the medal if you're <laughs> third. And there was a big uh, Vietnamese
2: influx into Boston uh mark Wahlberg is actually from dorchester i don't know how guy familiar you guys are but when he was a kid he got in trouble for uh beating up, an asian dude. beating up a vietnamese guy and blinding him in an eye or something oh shit so this is around the same time <laughs> as opposed to blinding him in the foot right. <laughs> but so there's such a huge asian population that the club he worked at on sundays they ran a night that was unofficially known as asian night club owners would tell John that all these well-dressed club goers, they're all gangsters. And he said, just steer clear of them. No matter what happens, you're the bouncer, worth the door. But these guys are gangsters. Let them work this out on their own.
3: Like, look, they're getting some shit. Let them be in their shit. Just leave them alone. That's amongst them.
4: So it's the boys that are back in town rule. If they're going to fight, you better let them. (laughs) (laughs) The boys are back in town. So
2: one day, he's working on uh, Asian Night, and he sees this big-ass Korean dude, Mason, beat the shit out of a Chinese guy so bad that he decides to get involved. He actually described the guy as looking like a Chinese Rod Stewart. (laughs) 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 That wasn't in my notes, but I felt like it's important to mention.
3: Did he say the guy that beat the shit out of the other guy looked like an Asian Rod Stewart? It was the guy that got beat up looked like an Asian Rod Stewart. Yes. Okay, because I'm like, that's not a big guy.
2: (laughs) So so he's at work bouncing, and he sees a big-ass Korean dude beating the shit out of a little Chinese Rod Stewart. Okay,
3: okay. I just wanted to clarify because I'm like, Rod Stewart, that's not a big guy. (laughs)
2: <laughs> so and you know he's he's a guy that doesn't like bullies anyways you know right. he's already got a problem with people fucking with little people you know what i mean he sure, had been fucked with since yeah. he was a kid and he was a huge rod
4: stewart fan <laughs>
2: <laughs> so john steps in he beats the shit out of the korean guy he helps his chinese guy up he takes him to the bathroom he helps him rinse his eyes out he's helping him to his car and the guy gives him his card and he says look if you ever need anything you just call me and let me
4: know you know. <laughs> it says, Rod, he, done, he, he
3: done saved the right motherfuckers done. That's, that's what just happened His life just took a whole good luck Change by saving the Asian Rod Stewart
4: So you look at that business <laughs> card And it just says Rod Stewart impersonator <laughs> Come see me at Vegas I'm the Asian
2: Rod Stewart We got a black Rod Stewart We got a Puerto Rican Rod Stewart It's a great show dude I'll get you VIP seats
3: 27 Rod Stewards of the world <laughs>
2: So, you know, like we mentioned earlier, uh, John's a proud guy, so he doesn't like taking handouts. He continues to struggle. One day, he's completely out of money. I actually read somewhere that said he had 76 cents, so he's down to his last 76 cents.
0: That's a very that ain't even your last two dollars.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, if that's how poor you know you are, you know and not not a handful of change. Like, no, 76 cents, dude. This is what I got. Hey, what's that song? I got
3: some change in my pocket and it's going jingling ling. He was not bullshitting.
2: Dude, I can't even buy cheap steroids with this little. Okay? So he's got no money. He's freezing. He's starving. And he says, like, I need my sister's help. So I'm gonna go, I gotta go find my sister. Like she can help me out. He goes to his sister's house. He knocks on the door. She refuses to answer, and she she slides a letter under the door that says "Go away." <laughs> she's in there tweaking.
3: What? Why are you going to the tweaker's house for help? You're fucked at that point.
2: <laughs> <laughs> just go away.
3: Go find a soup kitchen and get your shit together for a day.
2: Well, he does say he says in hindsight, I don't think she was trying to be mean. I think she was just getting in there hot. She was in there getting high, right. and she's like, "Hey." I'm Wh- busy. Whatever, it's going to be worse in here. <laughs> However bad <laughs> life is out there, you don't want to come watch these guys gangbang me for some fucking crack and
4: shit. Wouldn't you know she's high because she took the time to write out go away instead of just say go away.
2: So he's in the cold and he doesn't even have enough money to take a cab back and he's just fucked. So he uh, he takes the change he's got left, he goes to a payphone and he calls the number from the card that the guy gave him. So in less than 20 minutes, two BMWs loaded with Chinese gangsters arrive, saying they're there to pick him up. They're like, are you John? We're looking for a big white guy. You gotta be John, right?
3: Shit, even if I'm not John, I'm gonna be John. <laughs> it's fucking cold, two BMWs pull up. I'll be John, James, and Jangoheimer smith if you need, goddammit.
0: <laughs>
4: now, now I'm thinking this is Chow from The Hangover. That's who saved.
2: He's like, well, I called... My boy, like, who are you guys? They're like, no, we're with him. He said, you know, I'm going to take you to him. Just come on. And and John legitimately said, like, I didn't have nothing to lose at that point. I'm like, you know, what? all right, we'll see where this goes. What else am I gonna do? <laughs>
4: that car got heat. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> right. He jumps in the
2: BMW.
4: See, they did going back to the stray dog thing. They just like waved some food and like gently got him into the car.
2: <laughs> they they waved some cheap steroids yeah. by the door. I'm like, come on, come
4: on. Put out their hand on him. Are you a good boy? You a good boy? They didn't even have to wave
3: anything. They opened the door and he just felt the heat and was like, fuck it. (laughs) Hey, if I die, I'll die warm and not cold.
2: Look, because I'm about to die out (laughs) here anyway. I'm going to freeze
4: to death. That's an ugly, ugly way to go. I imagine he put his arms in and then they had to help and carry him in by the waist like they do those old stray dogs when they get them in the car. They'd pick up up his hind
0: legs. (laughs)
2: They take him back to a mansion in South Boston. That's less than twenty minutes drive away. Okay. Um, he gets to the he gets to the mansion. He described it as an Asian gangster frat house. So he said it was just filled with Chinese gangsters, beautiful Asian women. So it's all their girlfriends. They, he says they all got like tattoos and spiked haircuts, and they're younger there's, dudes, but they all got guns. And there's shit. all
4: kinds of lava lamps and black <laughs> light posters, and. Uh, they have a keg in the corner and a beer pong table. And at first
2: he's kind of like, dude, what the fuck
4: is going on? And they're like,
2: come on, come see your boy. So the guy he ended up saving was the Americanized version of his name was John Joe. And he was a top guy in the Ping which is one of the largest Chinese gangs in Boston. And they had connections that go back to the 14K triad, which is one of the biggest. Uh,
3: I kind of had a feeling that this was going back into the triad somehow. I really, really did. I'm like, I don't know where that connection is going to come in. But I'm like, they, you know, they, they showed up in 20 minutes. Two black BMWs. He walks in. It's like fucking paradise compared to dealing with what he's been dealing with. And yeah, something something there is going to be definitely tied in with the triads.
2: So we've dealt with a lot of the American tongs, which are kind of like an Americanized version, just like La Costa Nostra is an Americanized version of the Mafia. You know, the tongs are like an Americanized version of the triads, Mm -hmm. but they were connected to the actual triads, like the 14K triads back in Hong Kong. So this is like big time shit.
3: And from what I understand, I could be wrong. I'm not a fact checker, but the triads were even a uh, more tighter stricter rule than like the italian mob was like it was it, it was some you don't do shit without permission you don't wipe your ass without permission for certain situations
2: yeah we'll get into that a little bit it's uh they do everything in a very specific way whether you're a shaolin monk or you're a 14k triad
4: We do things. There's rules to this shit. Normal Chinese parents are heavily disciplined and all that. So in the mafia, where it's already very highly disciplined and loyal and everything, I can only imagine.
2: So the first thing they do, he gets in there and they're like, well, are you hungry?
4: And he's like, fuck Fuck yeah, yeah. I'm
2: hungry. (laughs) And they're like, we'll get this kid some food. And he's he's towering over everybody in there. He's 16 years old. And he's he's scared of all these guys because they all got, got all these tattoos and guns and shit. But they're all like, holy shit, where's... Where did this big white guy come from and shit? But how did
3: he get cool with the head <laughs> yeah. motherfucker in charge?
2: But yeah, John, John Joe's like, hey, that's my boy. Get him some food, wherever you want. He gets a, they give him some food and some chopsticks, and he can't work the chopsticks. So they're like, uh, will somebody get him a fork? They had to go find a fork. <laughs> they couldn't. They didn't even have a fork. They're like, where do we keep the fork? Where's the plasterware? The fork, the thing with the little, the little circle <laughs> with the little splines on it.
4: <laughs> Tie four chopsticks together. I don't know. Figure something out.
2: So John Joe basically seen him not only as a benefit because uh, he was fucking giant and right. he's seen him fight and he's like, wow, he
3: saved his fucking life. <laughs> so, you know, he does kind of owe him a debt, but on
2: top of it, he's like, man, this kid fucking seems desperate. I think we could really get our, our hooks in here. I mean, I don't know. That's a more negative way to look at it. He might have just legitimately been like, hey, I owe this kid a debt. Right. I'm going to repay him. But either way, they feed him. He looks at his clothes. He's wearing like baggy jeans and a hoodie. And he said, look, he gives him 500 bucks. He says, don't go back to your job. You're with us now. And he tells his boys, he's like, hey, go get this kid some real clothes. So take him out shopping. Get him some real clothes. They go get him, like, tailored suits and shit like that. I was about to say, you
3: know he got some dope-ass suits because, look, you rocking with the Chinese folks now. You know they got some dope-ass tailors. This kid about to be laced the fuck up.
2: He's like, look, I was wearing, like, hoodies and jeans and stuff. And they were, like, custom tailoring me these Miami Vice suits. And, like, fucking, he was like, well... Fuck it. You know, I'll, I'll take it. You know, I guess this is my look now. Fuck it, yeah, you, right. you go
3: from just regular ragamuffin to straighten your tie a little bit. You got, what? I'm telling you, don't let me get rich. It is going to happen soon. <laughs> I'm be three-piece down here, clean as shit, whistle every time.
2: <laughs> they get him a wardrobe and new clothes. He's got money in his pocket and they all dig him like they all think he's a good kid you know they let him stay with him he stays there in the house and shit uh he gets to know all these guys and they start to teach him the ways of the asian underworld and they just kind of start grooming him as this enforcer and bodyguard and they realize this kid's pretty tough and he's pretty fair fearless you know what i mean
4: so he is tom cruise in the last samurai yes yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> and he hasn't really had his whole life has just been fighting for fucking everything and these people really dig him so he's like He's never been, like, accepted before. So he's like, dude, these
4: guys are fucking awesome.
2: Good yeah, fucking he's shit. I love these fucking guys. He's hey, a rescue what? dog. Go, he's overly
4: protective of the people that saved him. They feed him.
3: But going back to what you said, you know, maybe they were just trying to get his hooks. in them. I don't think so. I think, you know, him saving old boy's life, he was like, you know what? I owe this kid. Let's go ahead and educate him, train him, teach him and give him a good life because he saved mine. I think the way that the story is being told right now, mm-hmm. I think that's actually what it is. Yeah. I, think I mean, I could be wrong. I got to nope. hear the rest of the story. No, I
4: tend to agree. <laughs> I tend to agree. Well, I mean, it's probably a little bit of, but I mean, it sounds like he's just a cool kid, so once he's around, they just want to take care of him. Like, I keep on doing the stray dog, like, joke, but it's almost like, yeah, he's this little, like, orphan kid that comes around. Like, you give him some food, and he's cool. He's extra loyal, so... Yeah, he saved his life. That was his foot in the door. But I think they genuinely are just like, yes, yeah, cool little kid. Well, and they also cool like. Cool, big
2: kid. Right. And they're like, wow, this motherfucker's giant. What the fuck? And he's like, hey, what's up, man? What do you guys need? Need me to do anything? Like, goddamn, I, I like this fucking kid. Yeah, I because like this you got to think the,
3: thing. the kid wasn't showing any love for, you know, pretty much all of his life. And now you got these guys saying, hey, here's some suits. Here's some money. Here's some food. Hey, you know what? Let me teach you this. Let me teach you that. You sit there and take a kid that's been through a stressful life and start showing them love. Psh- man, I could do anything for you, you know, and you're going to see that and you're going to appreciate that too.
4: we we'll rescue child.
3: That's it.
2: So, uh, he shows a ton of promise and eventually at some point they're like, look, you're for real in this life. You got some potential. We said you were with us, but you're for real with us. So what we need you to do, is, you got to go over to New York and we're sending you to Manhattan. You're going to stay in Chinatown there. And, uh, you're going to work with these guys there for a while. And they ended up sending him to Chinatown where he stayed in a boarding house on Canal Street with basically a group of other up and coming prospective gangsters.
4: Oh, so they sent him to Triad College.
3: It's like big, <laughs> <Yeah>. it's, it's <laughs> yeah, big Chinatown. You know, I got a feeling like there's this big ass pot that he's got to pick up with his forearms that, you don't know, <laughs> get the two tigers on either <laughs> side. <laughs> You know, like the kung fu, the old yeah, kung yeah. fu. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got picked it up. All right, now you're in now we're gonna teach you the rest <laughs> of the ways.
4: He's gotta go train like a bride and
2: kill Bill. So these pictures, one of these is the late seventies, one of them is kinda current. Okay. But they're both Canal Street, and I just wanted to, I put post these up there because I wanted to give you an idea. It's not just Chinatown in general. Like this is
3: That's that's Chinatown. Yeah, that's that's like, what it is. That's
2: the fucking strip. And this is where, you know, most of these crime lords, everybody else we're covering in this series, this is where they all make their bones and shit like that. So what we're going to do, we're going to take a real quick smoke break, refill our drinks, and we'll be back in a minute.
5: Like hot lava hot bottles Molecules tossed And rocks follow his disciples Like vipers They strike quickly Come at me like an army I'm tearing you down with me Spit like a bear And rulers are bred Like prizers Roll with the goal And get beaten Like outsiders These amateur animals Swinging the wrong survival with rivals with throat punches. Monitor the area carrying
2: some more of
4: this uh beer barrel new holland what was it called uh beer barrel bourbon yeah and it's just made by new holland brewery quick and to the point holland michigan yeah that's right like there's really not much to say beer barrel bourbon finishing in a beer barrel all right so when we left
2: off john willis had got transferred over to canal street in new york chinatown kind of to uh Learn the ropes to make his bones as a gangster
4: moving on up to well, the that's down crazy street. because he really
3: ain't did anything to make his bones he mm-hmm. saved old boy's life and that was it but yeah. they'd already promoted
2: him he's just likable they just yeah. like him yeah. He's he's, yeah he must be a hell of a kid
3: yeah no nah, he finna have to do some bullshit for real i like you you saved my life here's some food here's the soup here's some money and now we're going to move you up to college right out of goddamn middle school. And yeah, now you, your bones about to be, I feel his bones about to be made. He about to kick some ass.
2: So he gets there and they don't like him. He didn't save their lives and they don't know him. And he's there with all these other up and coming gangsters and he's this big white kid. And these kids are all like immigrants and they you know came from Canton or wherever. And they're like, yeah, you, you're going, you're coming from San Francisco. You're coming from this place. You got, we're sending you to college to go learn how to be gangsters. And then fucking Big Jed walks in. You're like, who the fuck is this guy?
3: So I got the feeling like I don't know the Asian word for white boy, but if this was a Mexican story, who the fuck let the widow mm-hmm. in and where the fuck did he come from?
0: <laughs> <Was> that- <laughs>
4: Well, what makes it extra bad is it's not only that he's like the one white dude that's here in the middle of fucking Chinese triad college, but he didn't even earn his way there. He has done nothing.
3: Right. He's got like, no He's got even, no family that's out there and like, look, his dad is ahead of this. His dad is ahead of that. Your dad's ahead of this. And yo, here's this white guy. You got to teach him too.
4: Because I was going to make like a, it's a weird version of like, Cooper Gooding Jr. in that diving movie where he was like the first black diver or whatever, and they all didn't like him. Like, he's the white guy there, but like, no! Cooper Gooding Jr.'s character earned his way to diving school and all that. This white boy didn't do mm-hmm. shit! just some puppy that followed him home <laughs> yeah, we're
2: suddenly in new york where at first he was feeling the love there because that's his boy and those are his guys so right. they fucking love him he goes there and they don't fucking dig him
3: i got a feeling hey. there was a phone call yo what the, who the fuck is this guy where did this white kid come from why is this guy here he this... saved my life yeah that's still bullshit why is he here you know this is where we train our people at to sit there and take over our business and you son sent a kid over here that's not even your fucking kid
4: it's like he saved your life. Okay, invite him to your cool parties and give him suits. Why are you sending them to us? What <laughs> <laughs> the fuck is going on here?
2: And for the record, that word is Guaylo. The, the, the Wedo oh, is
3: Guaylo. Yeah, Guaylo. Yo, I'm adding that to my <laughs> shit.
4: That's the Ikwenzuocha. So <laughs> they're yo, Ace Ventura fans. Yo, Enemy. I
3: like that because now I can sit there and say Guaylo. I hope that's the right pronunciation for
4: For sure. You really? I skinned it up. <laughs> it's
2: just ironic that you brought you brought it up because as you're saying it, like, oh, I know that word. I, I do. I've done this. I've been researching this for a month. That word is guilo. I'm well aware, and so is John Willis. He knows for sure what that that word means. So yeah, they don't. They're not impressed. So when he can't use chopsticks, they just laugh at him and walk away and they don't get him a fork you know what i'm saying yeah, and you
3: just can't eat motherfucker Such and uh
2: they won't speak to him in english so they just go about their business and he tries to speak in english and they just but move that makes on sense. without him, you
3: know hey you're in our presence you don't know our language fuck you you're here because this guy you saved his life but you know what you still ain't shit
2: well, and that's over there. That's in Boston. This is New York and none of us really know you and I don't know. You're here for something and I ain't seeing that.
3: Well, and that's the thing. You gotta think, you know, New York is the, you know, hey, this is where we're doing our thing. You know, okay, yeah, you're from Boston. They love you over there but uh, basically you're coming from like Elkhart, Indiana <laughs> <laughs> Yeah <laughs> to Detroit and want some love? Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> but
4: at the end like we keep on saying it's like Triad College or whatever but like why did they send him there and, and why didn't they prepare like hey this guys ain't gonna like you because you're white and you don't even fucking speak chinese like why did they send him there
3: yo that's a good i
4: don't understand question. that the dude set him up to fail and why did he say yeah why did he say yeah i want to go to this place that i don't know anyone and i'm not even a real fucking gangster like and i ain't got why? none of my
3: homies here why is
4: like any nobody's of this here happening? to
2: back me to fuck up
4: I think he was just pretty much a good soldier.
2: Like, he just said, well, I guess that's what they want me to do. And where else am I going to go? I mean, I was, I'm was homeless. I got 76 cents and a note from my sister that says, go away.
4: Like, what? where yeah. am I going to go? Well, no. I mean, he has... Homeboy, he has Joe, John Joe there in Boston. Like, that's where he is. And what are they teaching him here? That old John Joe can't teach him there with their own... That's what I'm saying. Why is... Why? Uh-huh. I don't understand. They I said think, he
2: going to go there and learn how to be a gangster.
3: I think what it is is <laughs> Why that. Why can't they just okay, teach him
4: that? I don't get
3: John it. John Joe could be like, okay, I could show you everything and give you all this money. Or I can sit there and send you over here to where you go through this training and you can make all this money on your own.
4: But is it real training? What are they training? It's got to be
3: because you're learning. You're learning their ways. You're learning their rules you're learning their law.
4: when they don't tell tell him anything, well, hey, now you better, he's not learning hey, shit. Look, you don't know what's going on.
3: You take a baby and you throw it in the pool; it figures out how to fucking swim. You take this—I uh, think he's 18 at this time.
2: Yeah, oh, he's 17.
3: He's 17 at this time. You gonna figure this shit out, or you're not? Yeah. You know, when he's
2: 17. They sent in New York to learn how to be an Asian gangster. <laughs> that is pretty fucked up.
3: What I think it's also some type of respectful shit because he could have just been like, okay, we're just going to keep him here. You're just going to be a foot soldier. You're just going to be my bodyguard. You're just going to be this low-level motherfucker. You know, kind of like with the Italian mob where you're not Italian, you can't be made.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But with this guy, he's like, you know what? I'm going to send you over here. Like, I don't know if there's a made thing with these guys. I don't know if, you know, you got to be an Asian person to be made. But look, I'm going to send you to college. You better sink a fucking swim. We'll figure it out later.
2: I think there's something to that. I don't know for sure, and I don't have the answer. I mean, we'll kind of cover it. Eh, you know, you could kind of take what you want out of it. But I, my kind of opinion is some of what you said and some of... We talked about earlier the discipline and stuff with these organizations and how far they go. Like, you know, he's with the organization goes that goes back to the 14K triads right. overseas and stuff. They're not accepting of just a whole bunch of people. So just an organization that's bringing in people from out of town to bring them up anyways. If you got some white dude that all of a sudden you're working with, for one, we're going to find that out quick, you know, because we keep an eye on our business. And if you're saying you trust him, he gotta maybe we got to take it. a look. Yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe, okay, we'll take your your recommendation or whatever, your reference. We appreciate that. But let's see what he's like. He didn't save me at a bar, so I don't have this bias to it. Let me see if he really is cool as you that. think. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you ha- he's the guy that saved you when you was
3: Like little. He's down for the cause for you, but yeah. we gotta make sure that he's down for the cause for all of us.
2: I mean, a cop could do that, right? Swoop in to help you one day, and now he's your best buddy. We wanna take a closer look.
3: So, Makes sense.
2: Ultimately, when he got over there, the... The big breaking point was kind of, they would he would have to go out to the club because they'd all go do everything together. You know what I mean? You're with this gang, you're with the other gangsters, you're with these higher-ups. And they would go to clubs, and all these other guys would be hitting on all these girls and stuff. And then they would laugh at him and look at him, and they'd talk to him, and he couldn't speak en- You know what I mean? He'd only speak English. And he could never get no girls, and he was just there to get laughed at all the time. So then he started getting frustrated. And they were always watching like Chinese gangster movies. So he started watching these movies they would watch all the time and started taking, like, notes. And he, when they were out walking around and shit, like, he would take notes on symbols in Chinatown and listen to people talking and shit. And he's just basically...
3: So he's trying to pick up the language.
2: Yeah. So he ends he's up... developing his own Rosetta Stone. So he... <laughs> he ends up teaching himself how to speak Cantonese with, like, three different dialects just based off listening to shit and watching shit and taking notes and... He'd just stay up late, like, going over his fucking, like, flashcards, basically, that he would teach himself. And he fucking, he teaches himself how to speak Cantonese, and he basically, at some point, just throws himself into the Asian culture. He's like, this fucking sucks. I gotta learn how to speak Cantonese. And he's 17, going to these clubs with these big-time gangsters, with these hot girls, and he's the only one that can't get them. I mean, that's incentive enough. You've been a horny 17-year-old boy. You know that if anything will teach you how to speak Cantonese, it's fucking that. So, yeah, he just throws himself into it. So he teaches himself how to use chopsticks. He would le- He'd listen to Chinese songs on his Walkman because they'd go karaoke. At one point, he fucking would listen to his Walkman and memorize, like, word for word, a Chinese song that he wanted to fucking karaoke. But, like, some of the shit, like, he, he had to learn how to uh, pour tea correctly. Like, I guess you pour it and then you put the spout away from, like, the elders or the top guys and shit.
3: Oh, He's so like, you guys say, hey, you got to pour over the right shoulder and then mm-hmm. turn the teapot to the
2: left. So when he went there, he was kind of like hey i'm big and i'm tough and they kind of like that and shit and then you got there and they're like yeah you act like an asshole you don't know how to pour tea you don't know how to serve noodles (laughs) you
4: had to find out the difference between the salad chopsticks and the entree chopsticks
3: you don't slurp noodles to show respect you're fucking it up all
2: over he learned like uh he learned the ins and outs of the buddhist religion and he always said like well i'm catholic but i mean if you're in this culture it's important to know all the aspects of the culture so he'd actually been to like buddhist temples and been like uh had blessings from like buddhist preachers and shit like that
3: that's actually really cool
2: yeah and uh eventually they just started like you know what he we done kinda, put his dues we kind of like this kid he meant <laughs> to we the think shit. he's pretty fucking good And he, uh he basically learned how to be asian so he learned how to speak cantonese he learned different dialects he learned the songs. He learned the religion. He learned everything. See in the movie of John
4: Willis, this would be the kick-ass montage. Well, come on, we we would have had to do a shopping montage earlier, right? When they fucking oh took... yeah, he would pop out of the dressing room with different suits on. It. <laughs> At one point, it would be a rhinestone cowboy suit just Not for the laughs. Not rhinestone <laughs> cowboy, just for laughs. Like... <laughs> Yep, and then yeah. the triad guy would put his head to his forehead and shake oh, his head. Oh, serious, no. Oh, you're American. And then
2: it ends with a big thumbs up, and yep. he's got like the Miami Vice fucking. Yep. <laughs>
4: Don Johnson. He comes home. out oh, in a tuxedo with a top hat and like the fucking coattails. So, this is montage two. This yeah. is the learning to be Asian montage. It was sure. of him up late mm. at night underneath his blanket with his flashlight. Mm. So, by he now. built the fort. <laughs> yep. Yeah, he built the fort learning the Cantonese, then doing push ups, then him. Oh, man, and like slipping with the chopsticks for a while. And then it goes back and it keeps on cutting back. And then by the end, he's just chopsticking it up. No problem. See, Picking now up Asian I'm ladies. Seeing at the club. Rocky
3: in Russia. you yeah. <laughs> yep.
2: chopsticks to do yep. <laughs>
4: I'll get in <it> a strong.
2: <laughs> so eventually they're like, yeah, we fucking like them. These guys that he kind of came up with as a gangster. He still to this day calls them his Asian brothers. He got traditional Chinese tattoos, and he's, like, probably the only white guy with Asian tattoos that's not a douche. Like, he actually knows what they mean. Yeah, he knows what his travel art (laughs) is. Yeah.
3: Well, He don't say salt, pepper, ketchup.
2: He's got a dragon on one arm, and then he's got, like, a fish on the other one, but it, like, it all is, like, some fucking, like... You know how the Russian tattoos are, like, real specific and shit? I know. His actually doesn't say the wrong thing. So, over time... He starts referring to them as Asian brothers. He gets uh, traditional Chinese tattoos. They began to refer to him as a uh, black guy, which is white ghost. Okay. That's what his homies would call him. The other people in the neighborhood were not. They would start to call him White Devil John. They kind of moved him on to some more gangstership. So in Chinatown, they gave him his first gun. They taught him how to shoot. Uh, they taught him the ins and outs of running gambling dens and massage parlors, and it consistently says massage parlors. But I feel like I know what it means when the ru- the triads run he massage parlors. He like to go oh, r- yeah. and He
3: like to go get the money from the happy ending place.
2: <laughs> oh, man, I got that. <laughs> but I, mean, I feel like that's a job perk.
3: You know what I mean? I right, look. I go pick up. I go pick up my boy's money. I get a rub out. Hey, you know, every fucking time, every place I go to to pick up the money, I'm getting a rub out. So hey. I got five robots a day.
2: (laughs) He seems to excel at it. He's, he's big boy. He's tough. He can fight. Uh, eventually they move him into a crew that specializes in robbing gambling dens and check cashing places.
3: Oh, so now he's going to rob other places that, you know, ain't part of their game.
2: Yeah. Okay. And, uh, like first time he went and tried to rob one, he almost got shot in the head and he's like, all right, I got to, I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> it's just kinda of scary and shit. But what was weird is he started talking about he was like, Well yeah, it's all kind of scary, but you learn how to get past it. And he started talking about like, you know, at some point when you're getting like chased down the street by a Chinese gang with machetes. Yeah, it's scary at the time, but you know, you happen so much at some point you just kinda of get so used to it. And I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. Wait, did you say you just get used to that? Because I don't think I could ever get used to Asian gangs chasing me down the street with machetes. Well, I mean, that's because
3: right you've never had that. It happen. I'd be all right with that because you know what they're not doing with machetes? They're not throwing them. Right. So at least if you got some wheels... Mm-hmm can hit a couple fences, maybe, yeah. you know what I'm saying, run through a couple alleys. Hey, we couple... did
2: always say he was big and athletic, too. Hey, maybe he right. just gets the so, hoof and you know, they hey, start trying to chase him with machete, you the he's Like, no, no.
3: Like, yeah, fuck you, you're not gonna catch me, uh, and fuck your knife.
4: You, yeah. ever, see, <laughs> you ever see a six-foot two, two-hundred-fifty-pound dude hop a fence? This motherfucker flings over. Now they call him linebacker John. <laughs> Wait, you see him over? God damn!
3: One step. That's why. That's why they
4: call him White Ghost because he just goes (laughs) through walls.
2: So he becomes real good at that. At one point, they kind of started to use him as like their multi, their their muscle guy. He went into at some point he goes into collect at a place, and they were like, "Who's this fucking piece of shit white boy think he is trying to come in here and collect from us?" Right. In Chinese, and he just answered them in Chinese, and they were like. All right, here you go. Here's uh, the money. Oh, My so bad. He, he at that <laughs> moment. And, they were uh, like, oh, God. we
3: didn't know you was that guy. And, Yo, uh, get um, him the money. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, White Devil John's here. You guys, get the money. He's here. Yeah, and that's when uh, like he kind of developed a reputation. People were scared to shit of him because he was like this uh, this legend. He learned at some point, he said, look, instead of going in these places, it's so much easier to rob them." At some point, they bring out the money. And a lot of the Chinese gangs, they had a real thing for handcuffing themselves to the uh, briefcase. So they carry the money in the briefcase and handcuff themselves to it. And people were so afraid of him and they were always shocked by how so big big he was. So when they would catch him, he would come up with a machete and he'd be like, hey, you can unlock the handcuff or I'm going to cut your hand off. And they would just cough cough up the money all the time. (laughs) Can we get that case of money? he's like, yeah, you know what? No My problem. bad. Yo, I, I don't him, even want to be a gangster. So no the
4: handcuff to the brief guy is really just for sure It means absolutely nothing. Yeah, I'm still, so, i will just, just giving. Yeah, i just it it to be it. Be Yeah, bad. see,
3: I give him points though for the simple fact that he was polite enough to be like, "Look, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. Which one you want to do?"
4: Because you <laughs> know what, it would look, be a lot cooler if he just ran up to, Yah! "Yeah!" He just didn't hey, give a he would earn
3: points there because he'd be like, "I ain't asking shit. What? Yo, <laughs> boss." You got a hand with this briefcase. It was connected.
4: Well, I mean... which well, probably a lot easier on him to just...
2: I ain't
3: asking no fucking questions. I'm going to just chop your <laughs> shit off and yo, we out.
2: I think it could be assumed if at some point they start unhandcuffing when he shows up. he probably...
3: Cut a couple t- took off. a couple
2: hands off to make people say like, hey, look, he's not the,
3: bullshitting. Look, the white ghost don't <laughs> fuck around... He will he, cut you. He he's will the cut bear Jew. shit off. <laughs>
2: he's the bear Jew. You know? Yeah, he's the bear Jew of Chinatown and shit. Where they're like, oh, do you know who I am? Yeah. You're the white devil. You're here to cut my hand off. <laughs>
3: Here's your briefcase.
2: <laughs> it, seems to, it seems to be a style. At one point he said when I asked if he ever committed a murder, he said, I've never been convicted of any murders.
4: Well, I was about to say to that point and this is something like the Asian gangs really keep that uh no snitching thing. Like, for real, because so far we haven't heard anything that's real strut of him, like, proving himself. We're yeah, assuming. Yeah, he, he ain't made his
3: bones at yeah, all. Like,
4: we're assuming, like, yeah, he probably has taken off a couple hands, but we're not hearing about it. We're assuming he's probably had to really fuck a few people up, but we're not hearing about it. As of right now, he does have that legend of being the white devil, this the white ghost. But we haven't heard what the fuck he did to, all we heard is like, yeah, it turns out he learned the language and figured out chopsticks, so now they like him. But I'm sure he has fucked people up, it's just, they are extremely tight-lipped about their shit.
3: Yeah, there's nothing in the story about it, it's pretty much like, he's the collector... The collector shows up, you know, to give mm. it to him, and that's it. He's he's not had any bodies. He's not blown anybody's head. He's off. like the he's,
4: white soldier, the the Winter Soldier. Yeah, he just shows know, up. Hey, hey heard look, of him.
3: you don't fuck with this guy. You just give him whatever the fuck he asked for.
2: So he puts in a lot of work. He becomes like a top guy in New York, and at some point in 1990, Boston calls him back. But after being in Manhattan for a while, he comes back to Boston and everything seems, like, real slow. And he shows up, and they're, like, real surprised, like, at how much he embraced the culture. But, like, what the fuck did they think was gonna happen? I don't know.
3: Yeah, you take a a white shirt and dunk it in red dye, it's It's a a a red fucking shirt.
2: (laughs) Well, I think what happened was he was overconfident and then he was unconfident. But by the time he went back to him, it kind of almost seemed like small time again. So they end up putting him with a guy named uh, Bai Ming, who was like, he was kind of a mid-tier guy. Like he was a guy that had some clout, but he wasn't like a top guy. So they just kind of put him with him and he puts him on as like his uh, driver and enforcer. And then it turns out the reason that they had brought him back up was it turned out there was about to be like a big war. So there was like a Boston Chinatown massacre where they walked up into this uh, bar and they killed five out of seven people. The seventh guy probably was the one that opened left the door open so that they could come in to kill everybody.
0: Bye.
2: And uh, it was like real chaos. He was the driver and bodyguard. His job was to check for bombs in his car before he started it every time. <laughs> so I don't know if that means start it and see if it blows
4: up or actually...
3: Like, crawl up underneath <laughs> it with a flashlight. Yeah, sure. I'm like, yeah, no, nah, nothing's underneath the plate. You're well, good. Well,
4: I mean, it's probably a little bit of both. It's just how good he crawls around looking for that bomb depends on, like, how confident he is when he turns that uh, key. But he's probably doing a little bit of... If he wants to risk it, he might just hop in there and turn the key without looking around first.
2: Well, Bai Ming loves him, so he just came back from... You know, real he came, time. Uh, he came back from the show, back
3: to Triple A ball.
2: Right. So he's like, he's bringing By Ming his tea, and he puts the spout on the right side, and then he checks for bombs in his car. And he's like, dude, this guy's the fucking shit, you know. And uh, <laughs> this big war makes, out, you know, breaks out, and these guys are dying left to right. But you know who doesn't die because they got a sweet ass fucking bodyguard is By Ming. Right. So this whole thing shakes out, and when it's all kind of said and done, he's like the last man standing. And he becomes kind of like the new de facto number two of the family just by the sake of attrition. And
4: by Bi- he's, he's Forrest Gump after that a hurricane happened, and now Bubba Gump is the only boat left.
2: Yep, yeah, and they're just pulling in shrimp. So now Bai Ming's this top guy, and his right-hand man is fucking John Willis. So now he's one of the top triads in America. And, you know, they go check back in Chinatown, and these guys fucking love him. So he's like... Yeah, I guess he's, he's part of our family now. I guess this motherfucker's a gangster and shit, you know? Yeah, and he's, uh, he's the white dude invited to the cookout. His status with gang soars. Uh, he does a couple short stints for extortion. In 2005, he was sentenced to five years for er, heroin trafficking. And when he's in prison, he meets a ton of connections. So he meets a bunch of guys. Yeah, he done saved
3: a motherfucker's life. He done became the new motherfucker's head in charge, fucking lieutenant. So, yeah, hey take care of this kid yeah
4: well we said a hundred times if uh think him going to canal street was college like prison is criminal college especially in prison if he's the white guy hanging out with the triads in prison it's a pretty big deal because race crossing is not that popular yeah that's
3: not a friendly thing you do so you know if he went in there and got that he was already seasoned up like look the guys coming in this is who you take care of.
0: The
4: the Aryan brother was like, what the fuck's going on here? How the fuck this kid come in here and he's got
3: high status (laughs) over here.
4: (laughs) Hey, how's the top recruit going over with the uh, Asian squad and shit? Where the fuck he learned to 4T like that? Well,
2: see, I think uh, normally prison is like, College for the gangsters, but he already went to college, so now he's like going for his masters. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) He's getting a doctorate.
0: (laughs) I like the doctorate.
2: (laughs) Like, no, I'm a gangster's gangster. At one point, they asked him, "Do you still get to speak? that you still get to speak Chinese?" And he's like, "Yeah, there's other Asian guys in here." (laughs) What do you mean? uh... (laughs) You're not Asian, dude. There's not other Asian. I got got my masters.
3: I've got my doctorate. (laughs) Uh what they call it when the uh professors can do whatever the fuck tenure? they want. Yeah, tenure. I've got, got tenure. tenure around this bitch before I even mm-hmm. got to jail.
2: <laughs> so uh he does it he does his five years, he gets out, uh Baya Ming tells him, like, look, we're moving away from drugs. You know what I mean? So he says we're moving away from drugs, but he's also like, you know what, you don't gotta be my driver and bondi- bodyguard, you can do your own thing. Like kind of a promotion. Like, hey, we're still the way
3: I can get my own group together or, you know
2: so he, he kind of started running his own operations. He would work for Bai Ming, but he was, uh, instead of just driving for him, he'd kind of run his own little schemes and operations on the okay. side. A lot of extortion. He worked at a lot of clubs and stuff like that. After his release, he meets a 19-year-old Vietnamese immigrant named An Gwen, who had just had a daughter. And uh, one of the funniest stories was uh, that, that girl, when she first met him, and he was 13 years older than so she was 19 and he was... Thirty-two, which is a little creepy, but uh, she said the first things I ever said to him. He started hitting on me. He's like, "Oh, what another white guy with an Asian fetish?" <laughs> and I was just thinking, like, yeah, kind of, yeah, but not like I have a weirder. Like, Asian I got fetish. a whole
3: background over here <laughs> that you don't know about. <laughs> That's an I've oversimplification. Been, I've been training in this shit for seventeen years now. <laughs> Look, you're
2: only 19. Yeah. I'm almost more Asian than you.
4: <laughs> Isn't a fetish. It's full-on appropriation. Don't be weird. So at one point, she was kind of blowing him off.
2: And then uh, she seen him at a club one time. He was working with some bouncers he used to know and shit. And he was just bullshitting. And then uh, some shit started going on. And he started speaking in Chinese. And she was like, hey, do you, why do you speak Chinese and shit? And then like at some point, she kind of was like, wow, he's like really into asian culture and shit so she starts to dig him he falls madly in love uh, with her and they start dating he kind of they never got married but he kind of adopted his daughter or her daughter is like his daughter like he's just started taking care of him and shit
4: man it's really crazy him just learning cantonese is really going a long way like yeah. if you're a white guy that can just speak some cantonese they will fucking love you that's all you need most cultures do appreciate if you try to learn their
2: language though like people yeah. even if that's you're not good it at fakes. it even
4: if you're just trying most people will accept that to some extent hit <laughs> yeah. yeah. on an asian chick no this just a fetish speak some cantonese oh now i'll fuck you she's not even cantonese she's vietnamese too yeah it's not even the right language hey there's some things you
2: there's some things you could read that's that that, not uh, how that shit works <laughs>
4: Have you listened to the story? <laughs> I'm listening it to the story. How it. It is hard.
3: Now, but see, that's what you don't get about that culture. She was single and a mom. So she was lucky to catch up with him. And she didn't even know it. Then she found out that he actually sat there and knew her language. She was like, all right, you know what? Part of the gang, he knows the language. I've got a daughter. I'm a single mom. So basically, I'm a whore in everybody's eyes. So, you know what? Let me go ahead and roll with this guy because he's actually going to take care of my daughter.
2: <laughs> Am a, I wrong? No. I think, okay, the second he saved that guy, you said, oh, he saved the right motherfucker this day. Well, she got hit on by the right motherfucker that day. There you, you know go. know what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You're a little old and you're white, but...
0: You're a old and you're white.
2: She said, oh, and I seen him speaking uh, Cantonese. No, you seen him telling the bouncers what to do and acting like a boss, and you're like, oh, wait. This motherfucker...
3: He got, he got some, he got some motherfucking pool.
2: So he, he brings on a family and he decides he wants to start bringing in some money and he had made some of his connections in prison. He had found these guys from Florida that had like a link to oxycodone. He reaches out to fucking, uh, you know, his boys in Florida and he's like, Hey, I live in Massachusetts where people do that shit. So he reaches out to some of his old buddies from Dorchester and he says, can you guys set up a distribution operation? And Ming told him to stay out of the drug trade, but he was like, well, I've been doing this for a long time, and you said I could kind of set up a side business, so it's not your fault. You know, I'm just going to do it on the side. You get some money. You don't got to worry about it. Plausible deniability is what his what he was thinking. All right. I know you have to say no drugs, but I got this good thing, and I'm just
4: going to do it.
3: And I'm hearing good, money. fellas, is what I'm hearing. Yeah,
4: I was about to say, he's Henry Hill on the fuck out of this. He's Henry Hill He's it. like,
3: look. You can sell your drugs in prison When we get out you don't do that That's all I'm hearing right there
2: So they set up a chain Of like doctors That could sign it off and shit And they'd get thousands of pills they put them in vitamin Multivitamin bottles and shit And they'd send them through plane He had like all kinds of distributions So like every shipment he would send one by plane And one by truck And hopefully they both make it And then you have extra but if not nothing At least one makes it so he had like this whole fucking system set up.
3: Don't this put all your
4: pills in one basket.
3: I was gonna, gonna say this motherfucker said. pulled a Paul Revere. If <laughs> it was two by, if it was two by lantern, <laughs> they were coming by sea. If it was two by torch, they were coming by land.
2: We got some pills coming. You know <laughs> in One way or the other. Oh, you missed that one. We got another one coming.
3: If they catch more. this one. They they didn't catch that one.
2: So he's getting both ends. So he's getting them from scratch, but then in Massachusetts he run, he's running the, the distribution end too.
4: From sure. farm to table. Yeah. Not. It's hey. all in house. But old Paulie Ling's gonna be pissed when he finds out what mm. old John Hill's been up to.
2: Well, and, uh, he's running the whole operation out of a waterfront mansion in Pompano Beach, Florida. So here's his mansion. Well, this is his first mansion.
4: It was a very yellow house.
2: Yeah.
3: Well, it's uh. So a, wait, he's moving all of the dope out of the mansion.
2: Well, that was like his base of operations, so I don't... But I can get
3: that because, you know what, you got the water right here, so you can send a boat that way, you can send a boat that way, I mean...
2: And then, well, and then he had another, uh, he had a spot in Dorchester, he was still in Dorchester, but he was in a nicer neighborhood, but he had a big house there, so he starts bringing in millions a year. He just spends it, he spends it on his wife and his daughter, he spends, you know, he just fucking... Good family, man. Anything you want and shit, but then he's, like, he buy motorcycle speedboats, boats porsche a hummer a bentley a nightclub and a second mansion on the ocean a second like well i mean i got a mansion on the ocean i want he's got a, want night a better club, one that's investment
3: i mean you know i don't hear no bad buys
2: that's my work mansion on the ocean i want a i want a personal mansion on the ocean too the problem is Ming was right, and they should have stayed out of drugs. They always had him on the radar, but they never thought much about him because they just seemed he had like thought he had yeah. to be like a low-level associate because they were like, well, the Chinese don't fuck with white guys, and there's this white guy, so he can't be up to much. So he was always like, ah, whatever. He was like persona non grata. They literally legitimately didn't give a fuck about him see I would there think, he's hanging
3: with him all the time we see him with him all the time he's the bodyguard he's the yeah. servant he's a fucking car guy they don't do crime with yeah, fucking white know, guys hey,
4: so he's see, cool I'm i would sure. do i would be like the fuck is this white dude doing with the triad what's going on here we should look into this
3: well, I would think he's watching their fucking cars
4: not if he has like five fucking mansions
3: that's how you're going to see it, whether it's a white guy with a bunch of black dudes, a white guy with a bunch of Mexicans, a white, back, a white guy with a bunch of Asians. This white guy is here because he's fucking serving a purpose, but he's not the head motherfucker in charge. See,
4: that's a bad So He's got five fucking mansions. I would be on him. Well, they should have, but they didn't. That changed.
3: Hey, we put it in John's name, but it's not John's shit
4: i got everything in my white boy's name
0: that's right
2: <laughs> so in 2010 they picked him up on surveillance during a drug operation all of his mob shit with the 14k i went under the radar and then one day he was doing some drug shit and it was marijuana so he fucking was doing like, a, like some low-level drug shit and he's out there selling it and uh they picked him up on surveillance and they started looking at under like hey Wait, they're, like, doing gambling and prostitutes. This motherfucker's selling weed. $40 million. Well, they picked him up on the weed, and then they started looking, and they're like, hey, he's slinging pills from Florida to fucking Massachusetts. Running you know what I mean? And he's coast. fucking... So he, would get, he could get pills at 9 bucks and sell them at 15 and he'd do, like, hundreds of thousands of pills at a time. You know? Okay. So he's just fucking yeah, nice making... turnover rate. Yeah. So they're like, hey, wait a minute. We're wasting all this time following fucking by mingham round this motherfucker's he's getting 30 percent off every hand job that they give at the massage parlor in the meantime this fucking white dude's slinging pills from florida and massachusetts let's just move that shit over to him
3: okay wait a minute i gotta ask is that a legit number 30 <laughs> percent off of
2: a hand job if you own a brothel you're getting a percentage of every hand job done there right so he's running massage parlors. He gets but a couple. Who came
3: up with 30% of a hand job? I'm just guessing. Uh, I, don't, I haven't no, run a lot of raffles okay, lately. Wait, I, don't, I mean,
2: maybe it's moved to 37. Okay, it's,
3: I'm guessing 30. Is 30% you know? of a hand job? I want to know these numbers now because <laughs> 30% of a hand job? That sounds kind <laughs> <laughs> <That's
4: laughs> of high. What percentage are you thinking, Damon? I what what think, percentage are we going? a
3: hand job, at least you get 15% because it's like low work, low effort.
0: All right. So I wanna
2: know what the other percentages were. Well no,
0: I I'm talking
2: about the percentage he gets. So he's getting very he's not doing any work, right? Right so I think the more work they put in, they should get more of.
3: What kind of pimp have you been
2: doing? You were right for prostitutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I guess I'm a terrible pimp.
3: You really are. <laughs> Cause you give me seventy percent for a hand job? That's well, no, bad math.
2: Fair oh. paper, fair <laughs> work. Overhead. I mean
4: we got this fucking place, you know, we got, how much yeah, no, got see, a, no, how much percentage that, does he get for overhead? How much percentage <laughs> see, is
3: that? He was supposed to get seventy percent of the hand job money. Your math did not add up.
2: Well, what I'm a, look, I, look, I'm forward thinking. Like I said, overhead, you got to play employees. Like you got a mama son, right? She gets a piece. That's of that. why
3: you get seventy percent. Mama son only gets two and a half.
2: Yeah, the the person that gave the person that gave a hand job, they barely get. They get a room. They to get one
3: point three.
2: They get a plate of hot noodles. <laughs> Any so, fans out there? If you're a brothel accountant. Let us know. Feel free. Right what is, in the going ranks. What is the typical percentage of a hand job at the top end? The top end you know what I mean? We're talking, we, I, I need to know our kickups. So he starts getting pressure on him. He knows he's getting investigated. At one point he gets arrested in South Carolina without his, well, he gets pulled over without his license and he knows he's fucked. And then they just let him go. And he's like, something's going on. You know, so he starts talking to his old lady. Now, I forgot to leave. I left this out. At one point when he started dating his, this girl, she really, she kind of fell for him. And she's like, yeah, I like this guy. They started dating. But a couple months into it, she was like, hey, something seems up. Like, what is it you do for a living? And she was, and he was like, well, I'm a gangster. And she said, well, look, so moving forward, I don't want to hear anything about anything that you ever have to do. He starts realizing he has a feeling he's getting investigated. He starts getting real paranoid. At one point, he tells his wife, he's like, you know what? I think I, I kind of want to go straight, but I honestly have, like, no path to do that. Like, I don't know what else to do. Sure.
4: Yeah, I've sure. kind of been doing this since I was 16.
2: Like, I, I'm legitimately a broken human. Like, yeah, I'd that, like
4: to be a good guy, but
2: uh, I don't know. But no, I get that,
3: you know, because you sit there and you get infused into a life that he was never a bad kid. He was just in a bad situation. He got shown love from people that were into gangster shit. So there's nothing else that he knows. All
2: right, I just got to be a gangster. 2011 Mylene or my that's the name of uh his stepdaughter so they were like well look we're figuring it out we're gonna throw this big it's her birthday it's her ninth birthday we're gonna throw this big party he was in town for florida so he'd been traveling a lot she went and picked him up when he got home they had the daughter comes uh sleep up in the bed with him that night because she was excited to see him and he got in late and they're like hey All just right. come stay with us and shit and they got woke up in the morning to the cops banging on the door as soon as he heard it, he knew. So he told his old lady and the kid, he's like, "Hey, stay in here, don't come out, no matter what happens." Yeah, I know just,
3: what's going down. Hey, uh. I'm about to be. I'm about to get my <laughs> fancy new bracelet.
2: Right, you just gonna go have a good party. He told his daughter he has to go back to Florida, and uh, he went down and got arrested by the cops. Uh, it was on the morning of her ninth birthday. He ends up getting charged with uh, distribution and basically conspiracy and uh, racketeering charges on setting up a interstate. Pivotal operation, you know. Yeah.
4: It's drugs All yeah. the charges. Yeah. He, all the things. He gets charged for doing the things that he did.
3: Yes. But no, you know, at that, <laughs> all at, of at that time every single one. All um, of the stuff. There was actually doctors that were getting paid off of pushing oxycotton real bad. So, you know, it actually he probably got them trumped up charges for moving it from state to state because of actually what doctors were doing
0: at that time.
4: Well, that's around the time that they did the big crackdown on all prescription drugs, especially oxycontin oxycodone, and shit. There was that big thing where doctors were going to jail. They, they, were, they were, yeah, they were, everything. they were writing
3: fucking prescriptions for like fucking five hundred pills a yeah. month. The doctors were making all this money for make, uh, for moving the oxycodone, and that's what, like you said, they were fucking busting doctors. For it like, was like yeah. that weird
4: thing where the government all of a sudden was like. Wait, people are just buying and selling these on the black market, and mm-hmm. people are just getting high in Odean. No, <laughs> when really it's just they want their cut of the money. That's what it is. You get busted hey, hey, if yeah, you you're cut not the sneaking around off. selling our yeah. drugs. Well, that's, see,
3: our that, money. that's why weed became such a bad thing. Quotation marks was because they couldn't fucking tax it. You can grow yeah. weed any fucking where.
4: That's all you it know? Is.
3: But now they sat there and was like, you know what? Let's let the people open up stores to sell weed and we collect all this fucking income off of it. So that's why weed ain't a bad thing no
2: more. So uh, he fought it in trial. But in August of 2013, Willis was convicted of drug trafficking and money laundering. And Sentenced to 20 years in prison. Uh, by Ming actually stuck with him and helped him out, even though he told him not to sell drugs and he sold drugs anyways. Like, he still uh helped he him with his, his defense fund and shit. shit, and then still made sure that all the Asian gangsters backed him when he got convicted. He's like, All right, we told him not to do that, but he still he's ain't our said guy. Shit about anything <laughs>
3: we sent him to do, so yeah. you know what? Look out for the kid.
2: Well, and uh, it does seem like John Willis was offered. Uh, leniency on his drug charges to uh, snitch on the triad and he's like i'll just do 20 fucking years in fucking prison well let's yeah. see what's
3: he at federal what, prison 32 33 at this time
2: well yeah. no, this 2011 well 2011 what is that so he's 40. born in 71 40 Yeah, 40 so exactly 40.
3: you know what i'll you take get out. my chance doing these 20 years i'll be 60 and i don't have the triads trying to kill me in prison yeah, fuck you. I ain't saying shit.
2: Well, you can yeah. still be alive at sixty, right? I mean, oh fuck yeah, easily. <laughs> I can do. I can do. I can do till sixty. I, I can, can come out, get come a out. job
3: at McDonald's, maybe. Hopefully, maybe get a little part of social security. You know. Did
4: you say sixty? That's still a couple years from mm-hmm. you. Even have to get.
3: Social and then what is security? it? Sixty-five or mm-hmm. social 62, security? Sixty-two, I thought. Is it
4: like something like that? I don't. I know, know they readjusted the like, shit. Like, hey, I. Look,
3: I can get out alive.
4: Yeah. <laughs> Look, I got, if I didn't have still a better be taken care of. And got a better chance of getting out alive if I don't re- fucking rest. Right.
2: Well, and while I'm gone, you got the old lady and the kid.
4: All right. Yeah.
2: I can do it. Fuck it. I guess it looks like I'm doing 20. So, uh, John Willis is still currently doing 20 year sentence in Cap'n U.S. Federal Prison.
3: And still stuck yeah. by it. He ain't said a damn mm-hmm. word, has he? No.
2: Yeah. He's done, like, interviews because they're trying to do a movie about him. So he's done, like, uh, interviews and shit like that. Because they did, like, a thing in Rolling Stones on him. So right. He's working on selling his movie. But that's why it's weird. He's really candid about anything he's ever been convicted of. But like, like I when you ask what him... I ain't going to prison
3: for Hey, I don't know what the fuck you're talking like, about. Like,
2: I don't know. You're You're coming up in a world where everybody's killing each other. Did you ever kill anybody? Like, well, I've never been convicted of killing anybody. I don't want you to write a bad movie, but I'm saying... Did you do this been... for the
3: triad? I don't even know who the fuck the triad is.
4: Yeah.
2: I... <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't even know. Like, I know that you can get money by telling them you'll cut off their hand with a machete. How do you know that? I'm just saying.
1: It was <laughs> a story that I
2: heard. So that's the story of John Willis. So
1: say goodnight to the bad guy. Go on. The last time you're going to
2: see a bad guy like this again, let me tell you. All right, so you guys haven't seen the picture.
3: I know who will play this guy.
1: Okay.
3: It was this hillbilly movie.
4: I like it, it already. No, right. this this
3: guy, he's played a whole, he played Bane.
4: Oh, Tom Hardy.
3: What was the hillbilly movie that he did? Oh, it Lawless. Was, it was lawless, mm-hmm. yes. I feel that dude mm-hmm. would be that guy. He was a great big brother. He was fucking. He's up, great. Dude. He seen. was my, my favorite. Lawless, he was just. He took bullets and was like plop, plop, shot a motherfucker, get little brother in the truck and come on, let's go get him. Back. Hey, I mean, uh, it, that movie was so fucking amazing. And I watch
2: man. Lawless because that's a a future cover. We're going to cover that guy on the podcast oh, at some point. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So go rewatch I it. I definitely want to be so, on that one. The best line is when he says. Have you met Howard? And his brother comes stomping through the building and beats the shit out of both of them. And then he has to go hand them their guns back. And shit. Well, here's your gun. Now you go on ahead about your day. And shit. But I just love how calm he is when he says,
4: Have you met Howard? Me, I think. I would just go classic. Mark Wahlberg. Fuck it. Why fuck with a different thing? He can just play this dude.
2: So this is young John Willis. So this is when he's... Growing up, like so this is Chubby him This is when he was sixteen. We got them cheap steroids.
3: Yo, you know what? I said one thing, but I've gotta go fucking um No, I'm seeing Tom oh, Cruise. Oh, he does look
2: like Tom Cruise. I'm seeing little, Tom little...
3: Cruise when he slides through uh in his draws with the shirt what was <laughs> the <movie>? <laughs> <Risky> <laughs> business. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing. Yeah, he does here.
4: Look... hear. I don't see it.
3: You don't see it? We're just I gonna... see
4: way more Mark Wahlberg than I do Tom Cruise.
3: I don't know. I see Tom Cruise in this picture over here with his mom. I'm guessing that's his mom.
2: Well, here, yeah, that's his mom. So I got some more pictures. So this is him with his uh, old lady. And okay, his well,
4: kid. he definitely went back to being a little chunkier.
3: Okay, you know what? I see an old Mexican homeboy that I know right there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's
2: definitely in Florida.
3: Yeah, you know, he got a nice tan going on. And
2: then this is uh, a prison picture of him. So I think, now there's another big guy at the end there, but uh, I think the picture kind of shows why he probably was popular with them early on and shit. They're just like, oh, yeah, you're way bigger than all these guys. Yeah,
4: I mean, in this picture, like, someone like Vincent D'Onofrio should play, like, just a bigger white dude. So now we got to do the DEFCON scale.
2: So standard DEFCON scale is 5 uh, to 1, 5 being the lowest, 1 being the highest. By the bad guy podcast, there's no good guys. So 5 would be Lee Murray, who's your drug deal in bank robin kidnapper and at one you got the purple gang who's got multiple gang wars multiple massacres and they're killing people on the streets so on a scale of lee murray to the purple gang where would you rate john willis
4: i mean i honestly don't know because we mentioned it during the podcast that a lot of this shit we sort of just get the general trajectory of him But we don't really hear too much about his specific stuff. I mean, on what we hear, I would just say a 5. Because we're not hearing a whole lot of violence. We're not hearing him having a violent streak. In fact, we hear a lot of him not wanting to be violent. But at the same time, he was a legit enforcer. And he was in the thick of it. So you know there was some shit that went down. But because... I mean, as much as there is the whole keep your mouth shut, Omerta" thing and the Italian mob, Mm -hmm. these Asian mafia people, they put that to a whole nother level. So we don't get a whole lot of specifics about what he's done. Like I said, hearing on just what we've heard or whatever would only be like a five because he really just was a standard mafia guy and like ran businesses. But just because I know... That he definitely had to have gotten to a few machete fights. He had to have gotten into some shit. I'm gonna say four, kind of by default. I would even say three, but I don't know. We haven't heard a whole lot, a whole lot about. I'm gonna just say four. That would be my, my take. I got that.
3: For me, I would go five because just like Dan said, there was nothing spoke on what he actually did. But the reason I'm going to give him a four is because of the OG move that he pulled on his daughter's birthday and said, hey, I got to go back to Florida. You guys go ahead and, and take care of the party. And just like you said, there, you know, there was nothing spoke of what he actually did. There was no violence. There was no murders. There was no I mean, the Robins of uh, sitting there, hey, you're going to give up that briefcase
0: yeah.
3: or you're going to lose your fucking hand. So obviously he did something, but I give him a four out of just respect. But honestly, he's really a five, but I give him a four out of respect.
2: Like what thing I agree with that. Cause yeah, you might've took a couple hands, but it just shows that you're not that guy beat that. You're willing to give him the choice. Like, look, I, I got to get paid. I got shit to do. He, so he, I'm going to, I'm taking this money. How do you want to do this? Because we've covered guys that won't give you the option. They're just taking the fucking hand every time, right? So, I think you got a guy that's willing to go the limit, and he's a guy that really never had much of a shot at a lot. So, these opportunities mean a lot. He went from blanket forts to five mansions. <laughs> right. So, if you need me to chop this hand off, like, well, I really don't want to, but fuck. And... <clears throat> Information, covering these guys, it's always a lot less information when you're covering people that are still alive. So you look at Lee Murray, you look at this guy, guys that are uh, still in prison, Joey Merlino, who is now back out and shit like that. Like, there's not as much information because no if you talk about that now, it's snitching because they're still well, see, alive a, or whatever. Versus, like, uh, Al Capone, that's 100 years ago. You can go ahead and say, yeah, well, he shot this guy on this day. Who gives a fuck? It's all done and everybody's dead, so it doesn't fucking
4: matter, you know?
3: But, well, see, that's the other part that, you know, you gotta give him four for the respect part, that he actually sat there and came from his family, joined another family, learned that family, learned that family's game. Respected all of that family's rules. Got told, you can go do what you want to do. And just because he sat there and played their game, they took care of him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I see a forefront. I it, just do.
2: And what other thing that he said that was kind of badass is, he says, so, you know, at some point you're probably going to get out of prison. What are your plans? What do you do? And he was like, uh, he said, well, I don't want to be a criminal. But he said, uh, but how do you take a tiger out of the jungle? Like. <laughs> Yeah, we'll call that a unanimous DEFCON 4. They're moving in.
5: I say we go to DEFCON 4. All
4: right, before we go, you guys got anything? Seeing that now I know this dude's still alive, if I said anything disrespectful, (laughs) my bad, Holmes. I'm just playing around.
3: You know, if he needs something on his books, i will drop five bucks on it. Uh, Second thing, support your local businesses, support your local people, love being on the show again love me and show love to be on the show again
0: i uh
2: i appreciate you having you on and shit and the jim miller episode it was uh it was a great episode shit fucking well you guys both like the cowboys you know and that's the
3: thing i can sit there anything that you pull up for me to come on i'm more than willing to be down to do it but the jim miller was definitely dope we harder. sounded amazing.
0: <laughs> it was all right.
2: D and D, son, D and D, back at you. Look, uh, my research, I stand by that shit like seventy six percent. So it was all right. I'm not writing encyclopedias. I'm telling stories. You know what I'm saying? There you like... go.
3: One thing I will say, if uh, your women's listenership goes up, I need a profit. <laughs>
4: Like 30%.
3: <laughs> I was thinking more 45, but we'll go with 30. I ain't trying to break the bank. I'm just trying to get my little piece. Just trying to wet my beak. That's all.
0: Beak.
2: <laughs> all right. Well, this is Say Hello to the Bad Guy. Thanks for coming and thanks for listening.
1: was down bad. My mama had to be dad. Spent my birthdays in the trap. We had to work with what we had. She been working on a raise while trying to raise me like a man. Plus my daddy in the box and all my cousins in the cam. And I don't need a hundred friends. I just want a hundred bands, a hundred jugs, a hundred scams, ay, ay. So out of money grabbed a hundred hams. Out of money, grabbed a bunch of And I ain't wanna fall victim to that system or the pistols. Fuck a judge with a grudge. I'm blowing crud for my mental, ay. And I still keep it on me. Run and tell your big homie. First you meet your dead homie, Yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. guy. The good guy coming last place. place. You smell that dope when I pass by. by. I like my money at a fast pass. Say hello to the bad bad guy. Dope when I pass by I let my money at a fast pace. I just did the dash, hey, in the fast lane Let my money at a fast pace Look like Drag Race re up in my ashtray I'm in my bag, a yeah. Good girl, bad face Slim no waist and her ass fake yeah. And she in love with the bad guy yeah. But bad bitches never act right yeah. She act up until that bag fly Did a turn around in one night yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. bad guy the good guy come in last place. last place you smell that dope when i pass by <gasps> I, I let my money at a fast price say hello to the bad guy. bad guy the good guy come in last place you smell that dope when i pass by i, I let my money at a fast price